Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I am Rob Allen. I am JP Mosher. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're <laughs> awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing man, today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic, Rob. Happy Season 7, Episode yes. 3. Yes. What do you call a horse that likes to stay up late? <laughs> <laughs> a <know>. nightmare. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. It was past your bedtime. Wow. <laughs> One more horse joke. Okay. Why do horses look so fit? Why? They're on a stable diet. Oh, oh my brother. gosh. Yes. Grown. This best horse cover true. of any album. It's when true. I think about the band we're covering, <laughs> I immediately go horses. Yeah. I don't know. I like I just think horses. It's true. Um the band tell them what we're talking about. Today. Oh my gosh. This oh, is man. good. This is a doozy. From the album Legend, we're talking about the song Crazy Love by Poco. Let's Play take a listen. Rob. Play a little. Tonight I'm gonna break away Just to wait and see I'll never be imprisoned by A faded memory Just when I think I'm over her This broken heart I have to cry The tears come down again It happens all the time This crazy love of mine Wraps around my heart Refusing to unwind Ooh, crazy love I Okay, so we're in. We're thinking horses. The guy that designed this cover, we talked to about it in the interview. For those of y'all that hang around to the end, we got a special treat with Rusty Young of Poco, yep. writer, singer, do all things yep. on this. Uh, we, we, so hang around. You're going to love it. Um, but we talked to him about the guy that designed this album cover is Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman? Who knew? From Saturday Night Live, nicknamed The Glue on Saturday Night Live, oh, which I think great. is a great nickname for somebody in sketch comedy yeah. because they're like, he holds everything it's, together. Yeah. He, uh, great nickname. Brilliant. Huge Phil Hartman fan. Um, talked about how he developed Pee Wee's character, Paul Rubin's character, Pee Wee Herman. He's also in the blockbusters Jingle All the Way. Yeah. House guest and Sergeant Bilko. Okay, not blockbusters, <laughs> right. but Sergeant Bilko. You know who's in that? Uh, that's Steve Martin. That is yeah. Steve Martin. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm gonna bring this all back full circle. Okay, Poco. When they were first getting started, their opening act, Steve Martin. No way. Opened for Poco. Wow. I learned that on. I was watching some Rusty Young uh, interviews and stuff the other day, and they were talking about. He was talking about how Steve Martin used to open for him and wow. when they first got started. And I love that fact. And I thought Phil Hartman, Sergeant Bilko, Steve Martin, Poco. Wow. Wow. That's really, that's really very cool. Yeah. Phil was uh, the brother of Poco's manager, John. Uh, John Hartman. And uh, and was doing graphic design even after he started his uh, like stand up career and, and comedic career, and uh, so ended up doing the graphic design, which became 
I mean, you you joked about it, but truly, when I think of Poco, I see this horse design. Absolutely. It became their emblem. It became their iconography, this horse. And it's not like it's a... If you don't know this album, go look it up. It's called Legend. It's by Poco. <clears throat> and it's got this... Uh, it's like a line art drawing of a horse. It's not like a... You know, it's not like when you go into a Mexican restaurant, there's a painting of the horse sure. on the wall. Yeah. It's not that It's kind not of Wild horse. Bill riding a horse through the... Through the desert, yeah, it's an, it's, but it's just very simplistic and elegant, wonderful. and it's got these red eyes, absolutely, um, and it became the emblem for years and years and years of of Poco, and they used it that same design uh, in you know uh, to represent themselves in various other things. And we talked with Rusty in the interview at the end. Uh, you're going to love hearing the story on how that came about with Phil, on how he came up with the concept and how they did it and everything. So yeah. it's really good. So hang around for that. Yeah. So uh, let's get into this a little bit. I got to say first off. Um, you know, we've talked about our our Mount Rushmore of dad bands, right? Our dad's favorite bands. Um, and I think Poco, for me, is my dad's favorite band. Uh, and so I can't help but think about my dad. It sounded like I was about to start crying. I know. I was like, <clears> I, was I like, literally just choked up. I literally just had something in my throat, but it worked well. I, sh- I should have just leaned into it. You should have ran with it. I'm yeah. trying to think of a horse joke to bring us back out. I'm like, crap, I only know three, and I used them all in the intro. <laughs> You're like, we're about to lose Rob. Uh, but no, Poco uh, Poco was was my dad's favorite band, and it and it represents him so well. And even when I was, I was thinking, uh, listening to some Poco on the way up today, about the kind of music that my dad made when I was young and even before I was born. He played like a Southern southern gospel type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob's dad's a bass player. Yeah, he was a bass player. and uh, But it very much had this sort of flavor uh-huh. of Poco. You know, you could hear it. You could hear Poco. You could hear the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. You could hear Eagles. Eagles. There we go. Um, Get to bleep you know, one. Country, country rock. You know, it was all over it. That was his genre of choice. So um, definitely, I cannot think about Poco without shouting out, Dad, miss you, love you. Uh, You would have loved to hear this episode. Um, So this is Crazy Love, which is probably, I mean, this is Poco's biggest song. This is their their top 40 hit uh, from the 1979 album Legend, written by Rusty Young. It went to number one on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart. Number 17 on the Hot 100, number 15 in Canada, and it was the number one AC song of, that's adult contemporary song, of 1979. All of, all the, the entire year of 1979, this was the number one AC song, according to Billboard, having spent seven consecutive weeks at number one. I mean, this really ruled the, the AC chart for a minute. Um, it is also, I love this, it is also included in the 2019 official compilation, Now That's What I Call Yacht Rock, uh, which is something I didn't know I needed on vinyl until I learned of its existence. <laughs> That's um, so funny you mentioned that. My dad listens to Yacht Rock Radio on the regular. It's the best. That's like I, his his thing. I have discovered that, uh, honestly, once I hit probably 30... I think yacht rock became my genre of choice, my my like go to, you know, it's 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 everything. Uh, this, as a matter of fact, this album. So it's you know you know the now that's what I call music, Absolutely. right? That's what. So it's from them, and it's a yacht rock spinoff. Okay, it's the uh, wow for you Christian music that's right. lovers. Yes, that's right. Uh, wow hits. Yes. Um, so I, I look it up. I like. I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. I'm gonna love this. Uh, and then I looked at the actual record. I saw the actual record itself and saw that it's this beautiful, like ocean blue, translucent oh, vinyl. Perfect. I mean, it looks like looks the like ocean. yacht rock. It yeah, looks like it you're look, on a yacht. Exactly. It's dude. It's perfect. I've got to get one of That's these. That's so cool. If, um, uh, you guys that listen and support, just go ahead and send us each one. Uh, yeah. Just go ahead and, and reach into your small change purse. You know what? Get, just just get me, Mister. Now that's what I call on the phone. Whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? 
I'm sure we can work something that's out. That's who we want to. Uh, that's our next guest will yeah. be that guy. Dude, I, we'll change the name. Now that's what I call a podcast. That's right. And we'll just cover Sponsor? stuff from those albums. Dude, we're okay. Boom. We'll that's it. Um, but yeah, it's it, that album, it's it's Toto, Chuck Mangione, Rupert Holmes, Bobby Caldwell, uh, How that's Long awesome. That We've Covered. We Just Disagree by, uh, Brent, uh, Brent, Dave Mason. by Dave Mason. I almost said Brent Mason, uh, which is a totally different genre. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm definitely going to end up getting that one at some point and hopefully on that translucent vinyl because it's awesome. Those of you Dave Mason fans, teaser. Teaser? Oh. Hey now. Hey now, you're an all-star. Um, but not that song. No, not at all. Oh, oh no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, buddy. They, they just keep on coming. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the song. It's got some sneaky meter changes in it. Okay. I, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to, for this listening example, I'm going to bring it into the second verse when, if if you don't know the song, um, then you, you might be surprised to find that there's a groove coming. Um, but it's, it hasn't landed yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to kick it into the second verse and you can hear these like sneaky meter changes in the verse, um, where it's just a bar. If we're in four, four time here, then it's just a bar of two, four time or, or, or cut time. Um, and so you'll hear it. I'll, I'll count it as we go. Here we go. It happens all the time. This crazy love. Steve Chapman bringing the funk. Oh, yeah. I love it. Just light-handed hi-hat. Rimshot snare. Sounding yeah. good. Reverb. Okay. Two, three, four. One, two, one. Oh. Three. It's all through the verses. Check it out. One, two, one. Extra bar of two. Yeah, just an extra bar of two. I think it's to give the lyric space because the lyric is all um, lead in, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's one. I'm gonna break. So it needs a full four Mm -hmm. count to get in. So I think they just put those in there to give it, to give them a chance to breathe Mm -hmm. and give a song a chance to, you know, whatever. Um, But to continue. So just some sneaky meter changes. It's not dream theater, you know? It's not math rock, um, but it's it's there. You know, it's present. It's noticeable. Yeah. And man, those those harmonies are just so soothing. Classic you know? oohs and ahs in there for yeah. you guys. We talk it, about some just, nonsense lyrics, but that uh, <laughs> that are keepers. Like those are yeah. That, that originally those were placeholders, and right. uh, they were like, no, we're keeping them. Yeah. Uh, there's something something I never really thought about too. Is the is there's some chromatic movement on the opening line of the chorus? Um, it's and I don't know if this is on purpose because sometimes it sounds like okay. Let me give you an example. So the main melody is it happens all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, what you would think is the harmony on top that starts on the third of the chord. It happens all the time, okay. But what it's actually doing a lot of the time is actually moving chromatically, half steps. It happens all the time. Instead of a full step, it happens all the time. Sing, sing it again. Half step different. So, it. so it, like if we're in the, what key are we in? D? Probably. I think so. I think we're in D. So instead of being F sharp, E, F sharp, E, F sharp, D, mm-hmm. it's going F sharp, F, F sharp, oh, wow. F. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the, the one underneath would be, uh, I would think if I was just putting the song together, that it would stay. It happens all the time. But it, but it's actually moving chromatically too. It happens all the time. 
where if you listen to it really close, it almost gets into where the whole the whole chord, that means every note is moving down a half step. This whole chord is going, you're getting a, a literal, a D chord, then a D flat chord, D chord, D flat chord, D chord, G chord with the harmonies. Wow. It's, it, it almost gets the feel of like a carousel, uh, you know, one of the- A horse. Dude, we're back again. Whoa. What in the world? We're back riding ponies. That's weird. That's awesome. That's funny. Um, and so I don't know if it's just that, you know, this is way before auto-tune and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, maybe he's not getting there is what you're thinking? Well, you think? Yeah, that it's that it's maybe some, because sometimes it sounds like he's going for the full steps mm-hmm. on, it happens all the time, and just maybe he doesn't make it. So I don't know if it's if it's just, I don't know if it's intentional. But it works. The chromaticism, but it's present. Take a listen. I'm going to go back before, okay. the, before the groove comes in. Um, you can hear it more clearly. This And if you're listening on headphones, you can hear them really yeah, clearly because it's split right. left and right. Oh, I, I mean, can't he- unhear it now. Right? Yeah. So it's that definitely on the left side. It happens all the time. And so it's it's it making for an, but it's it it passes your ears fine. It doesn't bother. Yeah, no. Either but way. Now that you've pointed it out, I'm going to hear it that way. Yeah, it's weird, that's right? Crazy. It's, that's it's, awesome. It's, that's some crazy, crazy love, love. <laughs> man. That's, that's awesome. uh, another characteristic of this song that is, I, I don't know how this became a thing in like country rock, but it's these hard R sounds. Um, you know, there's in in Poco and. Um, you know, um, thunder rolls by Garth Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, the way they say like uh, memory, I just feel like the R's are overpronounced. Okay, like um, it, it's where's the, um, hold on, let me think of let me think of one of the lyrics here. Just when I think I'm over her, there. Okay, listen to the way those R, listen to the way those R's are pronounced. Over her, it's. You know okay. what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it, there's something about this genre that that happens a lot, and I don't really know how it became a thing, but it's very specific to this genre. Um, and I'm I'm not I don't know why, but I love it. It's almost it's a comforting thing to know. I I, I don't know. I just love it. Over <laughs> her, but you hear that? Go go listen to Eagles. Go listen to um, you know probably uh, Buffalo Springfield. I think you'd probably hear it too. Um, there's just something about it. Even, uh, I hear it in, yeah. I- anyway, that's good. It's a weird, I know that's a weird thing to point no, out. That's a good, but that's a good ear. That's why, that's why you're the ear guy. You're I really guy. love that's it. That's money. I like it. I really love it. You got any musical thoughts on the song? Or? Let's meet the band. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey. Let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. All right, let's meet the band of Poco on this particular project. But guys, this band's going to have some facts, so hang with me. <laughs> I like this one. Um, Paul Cotton on guitars and vocals. He sings the lead on Heart of the Night, which is another one of their hits off mm-hmm. of this. Um, first band he was with, another Chicago-based musician named Cal David. Uh, the band was named Illinois Speed Press. And Cal David is notable in this conversation because he was also in a band with another guy you may have heard of by the name of Peter Cetera. Oh. But Peter left this band to join the big thing, which became Chicago. Wow. So Peter and Cal together. Anyway, Paul Cotton tie in there on guitars and vocals. On bass and vocals, Charlie Harrison. 
I love the Charlie Harrison story as he was the bass player after two famous bass players. Okay. Uh, Randy Messner, of, who went on to left to start uh, Eagles, uh-huh, uh-huh. and followed by Timothy B. Schmidt, yeah. who also left to yep. play bass to for Eagles. Eagles. Um, so Charlie Harrison, prior to Poco, was in the Spencer Davis group. Really? So he's the bass player in Spencer Davis. Group. Oh, fantastic. So good tie in there with Charlie. Yeah. Um, on drums, Steve Chapman, not Stephen Curtis Chapman. True, yes. Um, but Steve Chapman toured with Leo Salyer and one of my favorites, Al Stewart, uh, Year of the Cat. I don't know if you know that song. Love it. I don't know it. Um, but he was the drummer. That's not the cat. Came back. The very next day. No, I'm just kidding. Not, Obviously, not. that's not. But hang, keep cat in the back of your mind. Just okay. tease it for later. Just okay. Don't, don't cats, cat. horses. Cats and horses. Just hang Unicorns. on Unicorns. We're going to circle back to that. On synthesizer, yes, synthesizer. Mm. There's some synth on here. Mike Boddicker uh, won an award for Imagination from Flashdance. I listened and I couldn't get into it. Uh, but my favorite Mike Boddicker story is he purchased a Mini Moog in 1975, and he got so good that Bob Moog, the founder asked him to demonstrate the new Polymoog, which came out at NAMM. Oh. And those of unaware of what NAMM is, it's like the place to display and premiere instruments. Yeah. It's- you know how like uh you know how like Apple and Microsoft they'll have big developer conferences sure. every year and big announcements and all that stuff. It's kind of like that, but for multiple companies, and you know. They have one in California, which is the big one, yeah. and then that and they have and one in Nashville, one in Nashville yeah. which is right here, which is a little bit smaller, but it's more niche. But I dream, I dream of going to Nam one day. We're gonna go. I, I uh, uh, not not Nam, not Vietnam, Nam, uh, but <laughs> with double M. Yes, that's I right. dream Two of going M's. to Vietnam. <laughs> I dream of going to Nam one day. Uh, Charlie's no, everywhere. Exactly. Sorry but, for those of y'all that gave flashbacks. There, yes, um, but uh, yeah, it just seems like one of the coolest places as a musician you could possibly go. I have friends who have gotten to go, and I'm just super jealous of them every time they talk about it. I got to give him his due, as he's uh, he's a legend. Synth on all kinds of Michael Jackson stuff, um, and he actually sued the Jackson uh, estate for a pretty young thing. He does the vocoder part. Really? Yeah, so oh, wow. Does, That's You buried the lead with that. That's yeah, important. Yeah. Black or White, he's also on that. Okay. Want to be starting something? Synth wow. on that. Stuck on you for Lionel Richie. Okay. Oh, Synth, yeah. Greatest love of all, Whitney Houston. Wow. Synth. And I saved this Michael Jackson fact for the end because he plays on Earth Song, which if they're yeah. like, JP, you can play on one Michael Jackson song. That's the one I pick. Oh. That is, I love Earth Song. Y'all, listen. Let's take a second and just hear the Oz and Earth Song. No, no, really. It's so good. If it, seriously, if you guys, I know, I know a lot of people like sort of turned on Michael Jackson musically ar- around the time of the greatest hits, the the the, the two disc thing, and didn't really history. give it the, the, the history that didn't really give it the listens it deserved. Um, but it's been t- you know twenty five years. It's take money. take a listen to yeah, it. Yeah, it's good. It's that's that second disc. Uh, that's all the new. The first disc is all not all, but a bunch of the hits, mm-hmm. and then the second disc is all new stuff. And I'm they don't really you. care about us. Earth song. Oh, oh my god! Golly. Yeah. So anyway, Mike Boddicker synth on that. Earth song. Earth song hits as hard oh, I love as it. anything I've ever heard Dude, in my I'm life. Same way. I, it, when it gets big at the end, oh man, boy, hey, so good. So he played that boom. Oh man, so good. So good. Okay, other keyboards. Uh, wait, let me let me wait a minute. I'll get to him okay. on percussion. Steve Foreman. Uh, the percussionist in Go West, Martin's band, Martin really? Page's band, King of Wishful okay. Thinking. Yeah. He's the percussionist. Okay. Also, not Martin's band, but he wrote no, a bunch no, no, of their yeah, hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Martin's band, but he yes. plays percussion on on the Go West. Stuff. That's cool. Um, also on I Can't Stand Still album by Don Henley, which has Dirty Laundry. Um, yeah. Also on Ario Speed by Speedwagon. 
high fi- high infidelity. Not an REO Speedwagon fan, sorry guys. <laughs> um, but he's on probably their biggest album, which has "Keep on Loving You" and "Take It on the Run." He's the percussionist. Okay. Uh, his first album credit was for the Horn Arranger on Goose Creek Symphony. Do you know these guys? I, I forgot. About them. I'm a big no. I no, have no idea. Look up. You'll probably know this. Do you know? Oh. Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Do you know this song? <laughs> no. Let's look it up and see if you know this. Goose Creek Symphony. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Anyway, he's the horn arranger on this. But let's okay. hear this song just to see go. if y'all know it. I hate this so much. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all you don't know this song. Porsches. No. <laughs> we passed on the Michael Jackson song, but played this one. <laughs> no help. I can't. Okay, you can. No, I can't. That's good, that's good enough. I'll I'll come back to some other stuff. People listen, listen to, to that? Oh yeah, they do. Ghost Creek Symphony. Everybody. Wow. Anyway, maybe it's just I've heard my family sing it probably just, as jokes. No thanks. Growing up <laughs> um, on keyboards, all you need is one credit for this guy. Tom Stevenson plays on Joe Walsh's "There Goes the Neighborhood." Boom. Um, came out in. Eighty-one under the radar Walsh album. The only hit on it is "Life of Illusion," but I like it. Yeah, didn't like it. So play with Joe Walsh. That's all you need. That's it. Yeah, um, you're in with us on keyboards. We talked about this guy a lot. Um, Can we the- hold on? Pause for a second. I think it was a perfect opportunity to talk about how you think you saw Joe Walsh last oh, week. Oh man, okay. and chickened out. Joe. Okay, yeah. So last week I was as we recording this episode. Last week I walked into a restaurant to pick up some food to go. And I looked over, and I am 62% that I saw Joe Walsh. Um, I'm like, that's Joe Walsh. I'm going to take a picture and send it to Rob. And if it's confident enough for me to go start the conversation, I'm going to go meet said Joe Walsh or Tim Balsh or whatever his name is. I mean, whatever. (laughs) So I sent it to Rob, no answer, because Rob's busy or whatnot. And I weaked out. I should have, and I've kicked myself. All I've talked to Rob two or three times. I'm like, man, I could have met Joe Walsh. Um, so Joe, we know you listen every week on the podcast. Yeah. If that was you, just let me know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, thank you so much. <laughs> if you're hanging around the Hendersonville area on keyboards, um, we've talked to him, bef- uh, talked about him before on everything from America to Michael Jackson again, but recent discovery, Jay winding on keyboards. He, uh, so I'm trying to find something different that I hadn't talked to him about him. Cause we've talked about before he's, uh, the keyboard player on the John Lithgow album. What? <laughs> Singing in the bathtub. What? Let's, let's t- while we're going random, let's listen to a little singing in the bathtub tub by john lithgow Here this is something that oh my gosh he has multiple albums he does and i just i didn't know that till uh till doing this research but let's okay, hear all, there, y'all know john let's just play right, singing, here's in the singing in the bathtub by john lithgow it's bath time oh my God. <laughs> hurry up now get the tub get your shampoo get your soap get your rubber ducky and your toy boat let's make this fun Wow. We know the keyboard player, Mr. Winding. That is wild. There's a singing in the bathtub. And that's him. You tell vocally right away. Tearing out a console just like a baritone. And there we go. I can't. But you know what? There's a song on that album called You Gotta Have Skin. And I'm going to need to hear just a second of that because why is there a need for that song? I realize this is children's music, but have you ever even heard a child ask, why, why, why do we do, why have, do skin? have skin? Why do I have to have skin? You need it, tell me. It's th- like, 
is this song this song is is this going to be on a children's album but be a song about how your guts will fall out if you don't have something <laughs> to hold it in hang on just a second if you gotta have skin by john lithgow you gotta have <laughs> skin all you really need is skin. <laughs> That's all you That's really not need. True. Skin's the thing that if you got it outside, it helps keep your insides. Oh, in. there you go. You're okay. Right. All right. You're right. It covers your nose. Okay. I can't, but you know what? On my way home today, I'm listening to that there whole you album. Go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Next week on the Great Song Podcast, uh, we'll interview John and talk about you got to have skin. There are there are adults out there who presumably who went. Like who their parents played them that at night when they went to bed or something, yeah. And who, when they hear John Lithgow, it's like child. It, it, it's the same as like hearing Sesame Street Ralphie. or hearing the Reading Rainbow theme song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It does that to them when they hear John Lithgow that's in right. some random. You know, <laughs> oh my word, that's so weird. That's what a of all the people you would go, I bet that person recorded a children's album. He is way down that list. That's right. You know what I mean? That's good. That's not a voice that's comforting. That's right. It's, <laughs> it's scary. It Those kids are having nightmares about skin. Yeah. And that's the voice of your childhood. He's yeah. like, now children. I can't, you know, like. You don't, don't do know. a good John Lithgow. It's time to brush your teeth. That's I a little better. I that's better. That's better. The only thing, I, the only John Lithgow I can do is from Santa Claus the movie. Not okay. Not the Santa Claus. But Santa Claus the movie from the 80s. Okay. That was done by the same people. Not that Tim Allen. Superman. Mm-hmm. No. It's, it's, it's like the Santa Claus origin story. Okay. If he was a, if he was a, it told as though he was a superhero almost. Okay. And John Lithgow is the bad guy. And he's going to create Christmas Two and uh, and he's like this villain. Anyway, it's got Dudley Moore. Okay, uh, and uh, anyway, it's a great movie. I bought it actually this year on on iTunes after not. And this is why you guys come to hear that. Let's just be real. You like the theory. You're okay with the band, yeah. but you like the weird side. Yeah, parts. this is it. You came to hear talk that, about really. How did we get here from Poco? Who played on this again? Why did we skip the Michael Jackson song? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> we skipped Earth okay. song, and on we just s- played. Why do we have skin? I'm going to bring it around with some with some goodness. So on <laughs> saxophone, Phil Kinsey, most notable on Heart of the Night with Poco. Um, use some on the Let It Be album, but hmm. the best sax solo, I think, is on the long run. Eagles Live 1980. Oh, yeah. Go to Eagles uh, 1980, Live 1980, if you can find it, long run, and go to minute 335. Got caught up in the bass part for a second. <laughs> Play it, Timothy B. Yeah. I love that. Those high notes on a sax are always entertaining. I don't know if there's a that that sound you get in that upper register on a on a on a sax is is just great. I love it. People overdo it, you know what I mean? But it's always cool the first time. It's a it's a crowd participation excitement. Yeah, it like is. it brings like when you go when you're playing a guitar solo and you go up and you bend the high note. Yeah. Same concept. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. You don't get that in have we talked about this? You don't get that on piano. But there's no bend. It's not. It's it's not harder to play I see high on a piano. That's you know right. what I mean? It's the there's, same note. There's certain things on guitars and other. It takes more effort. That's but good. on a piano, it's literally the same thing. It's just you <laughs> moving your arm over there. That's true. You know, I went more right. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on string arrangement, David Campbell, and on steel guitar, guitar and vocals, Rusty Young. Guys, hang around. You're going to love to hear um, the Rusty Young interview. He was yeah. such a treat, such a yeah. great guy. Really nice. Super kind. He's as nice as this music sounds. That's good. He's as nice as the oh, Pogo yeah. music sounds. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's, that's very well. Uh, side note, originally called Pogo. Oh, um, didn't know that. But they got sued. Um, by, by the, the creator of, of not of the uh, not of the pogo stick by a comic strip that was called Pogo, um, and so changed it to Poco. I had a Pogo ball. Did you ever have one of those that you yeah. stood on and bounced around? And my dad like, was really good. Speaking of dad music, my dad could kill the Pogo ball. Really? Yeah, and I okay. was not that great. It was sort of shaped like the shaped like Saturn. Saturn. Yeah, yeah it looked like okay. Saturn. You stood on the rings, if you will, the yeah. one ring around, and then you just tried to balance on the pogo ball. My dad, much better than me. I don't have the balance. I had one. I was never any good. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Same. Um, uh, what was I about to say? Poco. Oh, Poco. So, yeah, I, I always thought it was uh, Spanish. You know, Spanish is Poco for small, right? Mm-hmm. Little. Um, but I, I guess it just was sort of random. They were just like, well, what's the closest to Pogo That's right. we can go? You know, uh, why What other just- letter would you put in place of C there? I don't know. Ofo. I guess <laughs> I <know>. really <laughs> that works. Go really, they're like, C's the only thing we got, or we got to change the name altogether. That's right. I don't know why they didn't just change it to something else. We're going to be GoPro. Yeah. Yeah. I we're going to be horses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, just be, let's be horses. Uh, and they were they were formed as sort of an output of the in a, a product, I guess you should say, of the ending of Buffalo Springfield. Sure. Um, Rusty Young played steel guitar on the final Buffalo Springfield album. And then he got invited by Richie Fure and Jim Messina to join Poco um, along with them, George Grantham, and Randy Meisner uh, to, to form Poco, I should say, not join. Um, and then lineup changes occurred occasionally. Uh, but if we mentioned another long-term member you'll know is Timothy B. Schmidt of Eagles, um, who he, if you, if you need to know who he is, he played bass and he also sang their hit, Love Will Keep Us Alive, uh, written, of course, by Paul Carrick. Kaboom. So, there kabam. we go. Uh, let's see a little bit, uh, a couple more things on the song. Um, we talked about when the groove kicks in, um, it's such a nice addition that the song didn't necessarily even need. The song is beautiful on its own with just the acoustics and the, you know, and the whatever. But when the, when that groove kicks in, I love it. It's just like the sticks on the hi-hat are so light. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know if he's using seven A's. 12 8 like it's just super <laughs> it's tiny using the yeah a it, pencil yeah yeah exactly as it's like when you can't find a drumstick and you just grab something You're like give me that really big crayola pencil yeah. that you had or that big one that's like a joke pencil yes. when you're in kindergarten yeah or just give me that and it's just just a, such a light touch on the hi-hat it, it grew so nicely it's not a heavy groove at all it's you know it's like it's like when you're on your yacht as everyone can relate to um <laughs> and it's breezy and beautiful but then suddenly the sun comes out from behind the clouds oh, that's wonderful. you know okay. that's the when that's the beat dropping there you're uh, like man it's getting a little chilly oh no i'm good right you're I'm like good yeah. sun there we go yeah you're like i'm having a great time on my yacht you know <laughs> this is and i'm using this example because i know every everybody obviously understands this right. um and then and and then you're like oh you know I, it's it's a little breezy i might could put on a jacket and then the sun just comes out and bathes you that's when the groove drops for you athenians where i'm from it's like you're out fishing and you're <laughs> by the creek and your jean shorts are starting to ride up just a little bit <laughs> and you're like man maybe i should put the car hearts on yeah. and then you're like no nah, the sun's coming around mm. up around i'm just gonna put uh there you put, go. yeah i'm good i'm that's set that's it um, also, I triple dog dare you not to sing along with the oohoos on That's the chorus. Good. Yes, yeah. If nothing gets you in this song, those oohoos before the, before the words "crazy love" are gonna get you. Uh-huh. You can't not do it. You know the meme where 
a burglar like starts a song lyric to get somebody that's hiding to reveal themselves. Have you seen that? Like, (laughs) that's one. Like, uh, I'm definitely getting caught with that one. You know Uh what I mean? If somebody says "Sweet Caroline," you're gonna do the bop, bop, bops. Yes, same thing. Exactly. Yes. If he comes out, it happens all the time. It's crazy. He gets to that spot. Wraps around my heart. Yeah, and then I'm definitely coming in with the harmony on (laughs) "Ooh Hoo." Forget it. Forget it. I love it. It's the proclaimers. Uh, I'm gonna the 500 miles. Song. Yes, you're gonna you're gonna do the bada da da. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. If you walk, yes, the burglar goes da 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 da. You're not gonna you're not gonna re- finish it. That's right. You're gonna yeah. repeat. Do y'all remember? By the way, I, a long time ago, and some of you guys, a lot of you guys listening, maybe have not heard that episode unless you've just gone back and listened to the archives. But we tried to do a thing, the proclaimers challenge. We tried to do the proclaimers challenge where we tried to get people to, to literally just go out in public and go da 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 da. And see if anybody would answer. And now there's a thing going around uh, where people are in, uh, like, Walmart making, uh, what is it, like, animal sounds or something? It's it's like a, cha- it's a literal, that same kind of challenge where you, I can't remember if it's like you. And they, you try to get them to do that back. Yeah, and people will do it in, in mass. Like, one person will go, I wish I could remember what it is, but it's some kind of animal sound or something. It's not like a duck quacking or something, but it's literally like one person, it's like going, hoo hoo and then the you hear it from all over Everywhere. the store, people. Whatever it is, it's a TikTok, you know, it's a yeah, TikTok cool. theme. But that's what we were trying to start. We start, we wanted to go viral. With the it was a great miles. concept. Yeah. We just didn't uh, have the right media. But now that it's a thing, maybe bring it back. you come in as an adaptation and just walk into Walmart and go da 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 and see if anybody comes back. And when you do it, and when you become rich and famous, go ahead and support the Great Song Podcast. Yeah, just hit us up on Patreon. You know <laughs> what I mean? And uh, and just you know, just throw us a couple bones. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the album, okay. Legend. Um, the, th- the thought was that Poco was done. Uh, before Legend came out, the thought was Legend was not supposed to happen. Um, 1977's album, Indian Summer, uh, and then there, uh, a planned but not released at that time live album called The Last Roundup were supposed to be Poco's last. Timothy B. Schmidt was joining Eagles, and Poco was ending as a band. By the way, how good have we done by just saying Eagles as many times have we said it yeah. since your initial foul-up? Great yeah, job true. to us. It's true. I think so. Uh, congratulations to us. Uh, but Rusty Young and Paul Cotton wanted to start something new together. So they played for ABC Record Execs, and the execs were like, sure, go ahead, but just continue on as Poco. Just keep calling yourselves Poco. We'll bring in some – and so they brought in some other studio guys, and they became part of Poco. Um, so – Naturally, what happened is a band that planned to be dead goes on to release their next album, uh, and the single becomes their biggest hit awesome. and signature song Love that it. was never supposed to happen. Um, and even yet, there was something that kept the song and the album from possibly reaching its full potential. The label, ABC Records, was then bought by MCA in February of 1979, a month after Crazy Love's release. And the new bosses at MCA... Um, and this is there's there's a couple of theories on this depending on who who you're who you're talking to. But the new bosses at MCA weren't really keen on pushing Poco, so the album didn't get the promotion that might have made it a really huge album. It still went gold and it peaked at number fourteen on the Billboard Top two hundred. But the stunted performance after the label change really leaves it with a big what if. That's good. The other side of that is um, some people say that the album and and Crazy Love did well because. The ABC people who were remaining were trying to show how good a job they could do by pushing extra promotion into this before the before the merger happened and saying like See, we're going to give everything we got into this Poco right. So the outgoing people did extra to try and push it, um, 
and 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 that's how it got it. Either way, it 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 dropped. It's still off. a question mark. Uh, yeah, after the MCA, you know, takeover, it they stopped, pr- you know, promoting it, um, and it and it didn't get to the heights that it necessarily, you know, could have with proper uh, full blown promotion. Let's see. I've got a little bit on country rock, but I feel like we can. I think feel like we're okay there. Uh, country rock. It's Eagles. It's Buffalo Springfield. It's um, it's actually Dave Barnes has an album called Carry On San Vicente that is sort of a love letter to the seventies country's rock, you know. And so it's it's nice because it's modern, but it just feels like that sort of breezy, um, you know. It feels like Arizona, you know. That's good. That kind of thing feels like Arizona. Oh, that's a. That's a. That's not bad. That's your next country. Actually, hit. coming coming to uh, coming to theaters uh, this fall, starring you know twenty five year old Dakota Keanu Fanning, Reeves and yes, and yeah, feels like Arizona. Um, yeah, you got anything else? I got a game. Come? We're okay. gonna play oh. Stump the Genius. Oh yeah, here we go. We're gonna play Stump the Genius. Play the jingle. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. It's time to stump the genius. Jump up and take your part. I take your part. Okay, we're gonna play Stump the Genius. This song was written. 78, basically okay. released on the album beginning of 79. Sure. Something else that released end of 78, but really took off in 79, Garfield, Cartoon oh, Cat. That is not Same where I was year. going I with told you. you to be thinking about cats later. Okay, we did this before. <laughs> um, let's put 25 seconds on the clock. Oh. We're going to do 25 seconds. Um, I think we did this with uh, Name That Polynesian. It's going to be kind of that, <laughs> that, that concept. For those of y'all that listened to it, was that the OMC episode? Right, I think yeah. we did Stuff yep. the Genius, Name, name that, that Polynesian. Polynesian. We're going to do Name That Cartoon Cat. Okay. Um, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to try to get through five of these cartoon cats. Okay. And I'm going to give you clues. Um, like if I was trying to get Heathcliff, we'll just okay. throw that one out. I would do right. something to try to so get obviously that. obviously you're not doing so I'm not doing Heathcliff. Okay. But in tribute to Garfield, probably the most popular, car- one of the most popular cartoon cats. Yeah. Um, we're going to do 25 seconds and I'm okay. going to try to get you to get these five cartoon cats in 25 seconds. All right. See let me see. Hang on. Let five. me see if I can get a nasty, what's a, what's a nasty uh, alarm sound I can get here? Like a, like a buzzer? Yeah, like a, uh, oh, there's got to be like a, you know? There it that's is. Good. Okay, all right. So that's what will hit at 25. 25 seconds, okay. You'll, you'll count me down. I'll let you do right. the countdown okay. so you can start it, and then I'm going to try to right. get you to get these cats. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Opposite of Jerry? Uh, Tom. Tom, okay. okay. Uh, Looney Tunes, opposite Tweety Bird? Sylvester. Sylvester, good. Great song after this Podcast. rose cut. <laughs> After this rose-colored cat movie in the 60s with Peter Sellers, remake with oh, Steve Pink Martin. Panther. Pink Panther. Oh, good, good call. Um, Ren and... Stimpy. Stimpy. Yeah. Um, the Simpsons had two... Yeah, um, it, uh, Itchy and Scratchy. Oh, uh, uh, Santa's Scratchy's Little part, Helper. Scratchy and... Itchy. Snowball. Was the Snowball. Other. Oh, oh dang it. Almost there. So close. Dang it. Good Santa's Little job. Helper was the dog, wasn't it? Yeah, it's oh. good, man. You did awesome. I'll give that. We got uh we got five of Snowball. six possibility. The dang tougher it. there at the end. I but. even knew in the in the back of my mind there's an episode because they had Snowball Two. Two, Snowball yeah. Two. Yeah. Oh, dang so, it. Great job though. I'm happy with how we did. I'm gonna give us a half ring okay. um, on that. Great job, Rob. Stump the genius. This has been fun, guys, on that one. That's the ring of a that a half ring is the ring of a like a Salvation Army Santa. 
Oh, in like yeah. like December twentieth, it's cold. You know when they're He's tired mad. and cold. That's, yeah, that's right. That's, that's good. Hands you just are get frozen. Kuklang. That's right. Kuklang. This is my job. That's what we get. Versus in the middle of the heat of the day. And yeah, you know, you're like, like, yeah, come, come on, thank you for your contribution. Let's do this. That's right. That's that's, good. This is like, is it New Year's yet? That's, <laughs> this is that. well, guys, hang around for um, one of the greatest gift givers ever, the Santa of uh, of country rock, yeah. Rusty Young. This is gonna be wonderful. The Santa I don't know. Of it's country the best I got. Just dropping gifts everywhere to everybody. Guys are going to love this. Uh, hang around for Rusty, and then we'll wrap it up right. at the end. And make sure and join us on socials: uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Great Song Pod. Um, and you can join our Facebook group also: Facebook.com/slash/groups/slash/GreatSongPod, or just search for the group called Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly. And if you want to go the extra mile and be part of supporting the show on Patreon, you can do that. We have some goodies and rewards lined up for you. You can check them out at Patreon.com/slash/GreatSongPod, or as always, you can go to GreatSongPodcast.com to uh, check out everything that's going on with the show and be a part of the ever-expanding multiverse of the Great Song Podcast. Um, We're going to be doing a crossover soon with our future selves. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, So, yeah, we'll be back uh, to kind of wrap a bow on things after Rusty, but uh, let's say hey to Rusty Young, and we'll see you in a minute. This is the Great Song Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with Rusty Young, the voice that you know from this song and the writer of this song, founding member of Poco. Rusty, thank you so much for being with us today on the Great Song Podcast. Why don't we start uh, kind of with the backstory of this song? It's it's interesting, and I want to let you tell it, but uh, tell us a little bit about how the song Crazy Love uh, came to be. Well, Crazy Love, uh, there's been two or three of those kinds of songs that I've been lucky enough to have. Um, it, it was written really fast. I, I I feel like I didn't write the song. I just wrote it down. Hmm. And uh, it was uh, I was in Los Angeles and I was doing some home repair, and it just came to me all at once. I think it took maybe half an hour to write the song. It was it was pretty much done when I got it. And uh, <clears throat> you know, but then there were all kinds of issues. Like it's it's called Crazy Love, and of course Van Morrison. A lot of people have you know Crazy Love songs. And of course, Van has has the biggest one, and uh, so I was thinking, oh, I got to change the words. And then the chorus, you know, it goes ooh, crazy mm-hmm. blah. And when I played it for the guys, I said, don't worry, I'll, I'll put words there. <laughs> you know, it won't be oohs and ahs. And uh, and they said, don't don't you dare change it. <laughs> but you know, uh, I just got comfortable with the fact that there are a lot of song titles that are, there's more than one. You know, hard day's night. Oh, right. wait a second, maybe there's not. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, I, I was comfortable. I started started playing it for people, and then uh, everyone was so enthused about it that I and everyone said, "Don't worry about it." So, uh, so I didn't. Thank goodness. Yeah, it definitely has its own sort of identity and place in the pantheon, and yeah, it's 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 great. We're glad you kept the oohs and the ahs definitely. because it's uh, we don't mess up the lyrics there at all. <laughs> so thank you for that. That makes it easy for us. It's a, and it's a simple little song. It's only got three chords. You know, as a songwriter, I, I think a lot of times we're always trying to find all these really great weird chords. Like in Rosa Cimarron has a lot of uh, offbeat chords in it, and uh, that I really enjoyed going going to. But Crazy Love is it's three chords. I mean, anybody can play it. Yeah. It's uh it's funny that you mentioned Rose of Cimarron. I was going to talk about it later, but since you touched on it, uh, it reached number 96, um, but it was the only one of y'all's songs to track in Australia. And I was thinking, what do you think makes some songs resonate in other countries and other part of the world? Like, what made this cowboy song so big in Australia? <laughs> like, what do you think makes different songs resonate with different parts of the world? Well, it's just, it's 
strange. I mean, Rosa Cimarron was actually a number one in Germany, but okay. it wasn't us. Uh, Hoffman and Hoffman, uh, and we were in we were touring in in Germany at the time promoting uh, Rosa Cimarron, and uh, they released their version, which is an all you know in German. And I just happened to be in Germany with a friend who lived in Germany, and we're we're driving down the Audubon, and Rosa Cimarron comes on on the radio there. And, you know, I was just, my head almost exploded <laughs> because I was, my friend was a guy I played in kid bands. We used to rehearse in the, my parents' basement back in Denver, Colorado in the 50s and 60s. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is just great. Here we are after all these years, we're in Germany and Hoffman and Hoffman is singing my song. Is this, this is really a highlight of my life. My friend Dave leans over and he says, um, do you know what they're saying? What they're singing? <laughs> I said, well, sure, I wrote the song, and I'm pretty sure I know it. And he said, well, it's not exactly the same lyric that you wrote. Back in those days, I don't know about now, but when they translated, they could do it any way they wanted. And you generally at the label, the guy who got the, the translation job was like their nephew or their son-in-law who couldn't keep a job at the gas station. <laughs> he just happened to be and, a good translator. <laughs> and the crazy thing is person got a percentage of the royalties. Whoa. So, you know, if you were creating a bridge over troubled water, you know, you could make up anything you wanted to make up. And I, I don't know what the percentage was, but it was a substantial percentage went to the guy who translated it. Wow. What a gig. And he no could, so anyway, so Dave just... looks over at me and he says, well, here's, because here, he speaks fluent German, here's, here's what they're saying. And they had turned the song into a song about a Measure Schmidt fighter pilot during World War II. What wow. in the world? So nothing... Yeah, who, no. who flies this... At the, it's the end of the war, and he flies this Measure Schmidt out over the ocean until it runs out of gas and crashes, and they all die. Oh, my God. And, no uh, <laughs> if Rose Dunn only knew what was going on with uh, with her song, right? Goodness gracious. It just blew... That was one of those highlights of my life. Because, you know, the real the tr- truth is that that was the first idea I had for the song, was the Measure Schmidt, you know, and... and uh, so uh, the fact that they figured that out is amazing. That's crazy. Wow. That's, That's came back full circle. It, for the for our listeners that aren't familiar with this track, there's a great live version on YouTube, and you're playing this orange sunburst strat with the maple neck, and Timothy B. Schmidt's got this long flowing hair. It's classic. Um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll challenge our listeners to go watch it. It's good. Um, you recorded a version of this same of that same song back to Rosa Cimarron recently with Chelsea Williams at Cash Cabin Studios, which is just around the corner from us here in Hendersonville. We're we're recording in Hendersonville. Is that is that true? Did you do that up there with with her? Kind of gave yeah. We did my record uh, up there at that studio, Johnny Cash's old place. And uh, when it came uh, time to cut that track, just you know, we were having a good time, and I enjoy playing with the other artists on the label. And so that's that's where we went. You're kind of a legendary instrumentalist, uh, and you're actually, as I understand it, you're in the Steel Guitar Hall of Fame. Um, what what made you fall in love with the steel guitar, and uh, and why is it why is it something that is, um, you know, what, what what got you into it, and and why do you love the steel guitar? <clears throat> well, it really started when I was six years old. Um, my folks were big country music fans, and uh, every Friday night they would go down to the Anchor, the Anchor Inn. And they had a country band there. And uh, even when I was a baby, they'd sit me up on the bar and I'd eat those stupid pickled eggs. And, you know, <laughs> they'd dress me up like a little Roy Rogers, you know, and sit me on the bar. And it scared the crap out of the, all the old drunks that were sitting around me. You know? <laughs> but uh, they, they loved country music. And so 
at, at age six, they started me on guitar lessons, and my dad's favorite song was a steel guitar song. And um, so that's why I start. And, you know, in the 50s, now this was 1952. You, you probably don't remember that, do you? I, no, it's a little before our time. We were negative. Uh, <laughs> I was about negative 29 yeah. then. So. 29. Well, back then in, in guitar studios, they would start everybody. If you wanted to play standard guitar, you would still start off on lap steel. And they gave you lessons on a lap steel for about six months, and then they'd switch you to standard guitar. Really? That way they could sell you two guitars. (laughs) (laughs) Marketing geniuses. Of course. Marketing, yep. Um, Happy Logans, I remember it well, in in Denver, Colorado. And uh, so, but I just loved the steel, and I loved the sound of it. And even though I went on to learn to play guitar, uh, I never never really lost uh, my love for that instrument. And then one in what's fifty seven, I think, uh, when Santa and Johnny hit with Sleepwalk, uh, you know, on the charts. You remember that song? Da 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 da. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's a classic. I'm sure you've heard it many times. All of a sudden, steel guitar was hip, and uh, that was just that was the the coolest thing for me, because before it was so unhip, it was you know basically playing Hawaiian music. Right. And. Uh, so anyway, um, that's how I got started on steel, and I was good at it, and I never gave it up. And then when I became a teenager, I was, you know, it's really devoted to it. I, I would spend six or eight hours every day practicing and playing. And I started, you know, at a twelve years old playing in bars around Colorado, and uh, I haven't stopped since. I think uh, I think a good a good uh, introduction for those of y'all that aren't familiar with. Rusty's steel playing and slide playing is on Sagebrush Serenade, which is older Poco, but it's it's it also shows how voc how uh, diversity diverse musically y'all are mm. um, as a band. Y'all are incredibly musically diverse. As you start with like the slow harmonized vocals, kind of eagle sounding, and then the banjo and the slide guitar kicks in, and it's brilliant. So um, that talk about like your diversity as a musical band. Well, the, the way we started, the reason we started, or the way we started back in '68, was to combine rock and roll. You know, Richie Fure was the lead singer in the Buffalo Springfield, and he was, you know, very well known. And Jimmy Messina had grown, was in the Springfield at the time too, and he'd grown up. He lived in Harlingen, Texas, uh, and then moved to Northern California. I think Bakersfield, or somewhere around there. And uh, so he had he had kind of a country surfing music background. And uh, but he was familiar with James Burton, you know, that played on a Ricky Nelson record. Absolutely, and he emulated that style. And uh, so, I long story short, I, they called me up. Uh, a friend of mine was working for him. They called me up to play steel guitar on a Last Time Around album on the, with the Buffalo Springfield. And that's when I met Richie and Jimmy. And the Springfield was breaking up. And uh, so I played on that record, and they liked my playing. And they found that I, you know, I played banjo and dobro and mandolin and steel guitar and all this kind of stuff. So the concept we thought was, and what they were looking for, was to be able to have rock and roll songs and rock and roll lyrics, you know, that sensibility from rock and roll, but color it with country instruments. Because back then they didn't have synthesizers, and believe it or not, if you wanted to have a flute, you had to actually play a flute on it. <laughs> <Right, yeah. laughs> Uh, so, so it was a way to expand, the, and the Beatles are using all these different instruments. You know, they were still around then. Sure. Uh, they're they're pl- using all these different instruments on their records, and we thought, well, what if we do that, but, you know, use country instruments that, that I could play? And uh, so 
So that's how that whole instrumental thing came into it. And you know, to me, the ironic thing is, what a great vocal band Poco has been over the years. Great singers from, you know, Timothy B and Richie and Paul Cotton and Randy Meisner, my favorite. Just great vocalists. The only Grammy Poco's ever been nominated for, drum roll please, <laughs> is a banjo instrumental I wrote. <laughs> Fantastic. Do you believe that? The only Grammy nomination ever for a stupid banjo, and I don't even play banjo that well, you know. And I got, we got, I, I lost out to uh, Roy Clark, which is, you know, doesn't everyone. Um, uh, so how did your role evolve in Poco from originally you were, like you said, you kind of came in as the, you were the utility instrumentalist, the guy who can play anything and everything. Um, and your role kind of shifted over the years. Um, how did, how did you go from being the, the utility instrumental guy to being the writer and voice of Crazy Love? Well, in the very beginning, we had three three singers, three strong lead singers, and um, and it was that way for the uh, the years that Richie was in the band. I think he was in the band four years, four of the fifty we've been together. Um, and they he didn't really. I didn't see my job in the band as being a writer or a singer, and I didn't sing at the time. I was not uh, a singer. Um, so I my job was to do my best to make the instrumental part of it as good as it could be. And then um, when Jimmy left the band and Paul came in and Paul's a great singer songwriter. So we, you know, we had that pretty much covered, but when Richie left the band, all of a sudden it was just Tim and Paul and Tim didn't write a lot of songs. He doesn't write a lot of songs. He's not a real prolific songwriter. And so he would have one or two probably for an album and Paul might have four. So we needed, we needed songs. And uh, and I'd been itching. I'd had the best teachers around me for writing songs, you know, because, I mean, when Neil, before he released his, Neil Young, before he released his first solo record, he came by Richie's house, and I remember sitting in there in the fireplace, and it was just like around the fireplace, and there was just the two of us, and he was playing, you know, Down by the River, and What Do You Think of This? And and I got to hear how songs start and how they follow through, and and Richie would do the same, and uh, and Paul. And, you know, I was good friends with the guys in America, and we toured together a lot. I played on a lot of the. They introduced me to George Martin, which is a huge wow. thrill. Wow, that's awesome. And uh, so I was around them, and, and we had the same management. And uh, I just was around all these great songwriters, and I could see, you know, the process. And so when Richie left the band, and there, we needed another songwriter, um, it was it was something I wanted to do. And <laughs> another big, huge factor in me doing that was when Richie left the band. We, we were living in Colorado. We flew to Los Angeles and met with our manager, David Geffen. And uh, David Geffen, we go into David Geffen's office, and we sit down. I remember it distinctly. And there's, you know, Paul and Tim and me and George. And Geffen calls Richie into his office. And then Geffen comes out, uh, and he sit, looks at us, and he says, Richie's quitting the band, which was a really pretty big deal at the time. And uh, he looks at Paul, and he says, you play guitar, and you, you write, and you sing, don't you? And Paul said, yes. And he said, well, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. Richie's leaving, but you'll be just, he goes to Tim and he says, you know, you play guitar and you sing and you write, you know, don't worry. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, uh, you just play guitar, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, you got trouble. Uh, what <laughs> in the world? Yeah. And that was it. The light bulb went off. And, and I realized that it, it's true in the music business then. And I think it's still the same. The most 
valuable people are the singer-songwriters. Yeah. The people that sing the song. Now, a lot of times it's just the singer, not the songwriter. But um, singer-songwriters are the ones that make the business run. And um, and it's also, they're the ones that make all the money for sure. a good reason, I guess. I know, but, even, uh, even as a supporting musician now, if you play out live, you get paid more if you have a mic in front of you and sing, if I'm not mistaken on that, like even for like band supporting musicians. So being a vocalist is important in your, in the case that you're making. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really important. And, uh, so anyway, that's when I decided, you know, I really better follow through on this singer song because otherwise I, I would be in a bar right now in probably in Colorado playing for $200 a night. I know you've, you've hinted at Timothy B. Schmidt a little bit. We're huge Timothy B. Schmidt fans. He's one of our favorites. Talk about Me how, too. how, uh, he's, that's yeah, great. Right. How did, talk about your, careers kind of intertwining with him how he came into the band and um kind of his you can tell tell the bass player story and him and randy and everything sure sure we uh to start off the band um i thought that jimmy and richie would know a lot of and everybody in la would want to be in in the band and so we went for like six months auditioning guys i mean we we actually auditioned guys like graham parsons uh, that's the one I first oh. met Greg Almond, and uh, he he played in the band for for a while while we were rehearsing. We didn't have a, a gig. We didn't have a band. <laughs> wow. Not, uh, so a lot of people came. Through, but yeah, but none of them. I mean, those guys are awesome. But most of the guys that came through playing bass and drums w- weren't as good as the guys I knew back home. Hmm. And uh, so we, <laughs> I had reached the end of my money, and we still didn't have a band. And I'm living, I'm sharing an apartment, you know, in in uh, in the valley out there in L.A. And I'd sold my precious Corvette, you know, and I, um, I'd sold everything and, and, uh, we still didn't have a band. So I kind of, you know, I'd always wanted to work with Randy Meisner. I've known him since high school. And the first time I ever heard about Randy was, uh, we were playing in different local bands in Denver and somebody came into me and said, you got to hear this guy that's playing in the, in the other, the soul survivors, they were called. Um, he can sing the theremin part on good vibrations, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. he can sing that. Come on, no one can sing. So that was the first time I heard. And then I went and saw him and, and we became friends and, uh, his band went out to Los Angeles. They changed their name to the poor. They went out to LA and tried to make it, but didn't make it. You know, it's a tough business. And so I knew he was out there and he wasn't doing anything. And I'd always, always wanted to play with him. I love his voice and his playing. And so, um, I, I brought him to Richie and and, uh, and and Jimmy, and at the same time I brought George, the drummer I've been playing with in Denver. I brought him out, and so we went through a rehearsal with Randy and George. And George also sings as high as Randy does, and so the vocal thing was just stunning with Richie and Jimmy and uh, George and uh, Randy, and it was it was it was spot on, you know, from the get go. It was really something special. And uh, so that's, but we auditioned bass players. And one of them that we auditioned in that period was Timothy B. Schmidt. And uh, actually at the time he was called Tim Schmidt. That's much more fun to say Timothy B. Timothy B. Schmidt's just a lot more fun to say. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So, uh, but, you know, I I pushed hard for Randy because I, you know, like I say, I really admire Randy. And, uh, but I think Richie really always wanted, I mean, Richie and, and Timothy had always been close. Richie named his first child Timothy, and it was it's a girl. Um, they'd wow. always been really, really close. And uh, I think, you know, Richie let Randy go. I mean, 
forced him to leave the band uh, before the first album was even uh, finished uh, recording. They were mixing actually when he when he got into his thing with Randy, and I think it was because he he really wanted to work with with Timothy, and uh, but you know Randy got his take it to the limit revenge. <laughs> yeah, worked out okay for that guy. <laughs> Pretty good. So uh, that's when Timothy entered the band, and Timothy is just the sweetest guy. He is. There are a few. There's a lot of really people uh, who are bad apples. There are people I don't like anyway in the music business. Not a lot. There's a few, uh, and then there's a few great ones. And Timothy, Tim, uh, Timothy is one of them. Vince Gill's another one. You know, there's some guys who are just really great guys, and and um, it's neat that they're friends. I said neat. Can you? Is that okay? Can you cut <laughs> that out? That's a great word. That's wonderful. That's, Love it. Uh, Okay, you're showing, showing his age. Um, anyway, t- you know, Timothy, is, he's just one of those really great guys, and we had it was a, a pleasure working with him all through that period. And uh, when he got the call from Don Henley to join the Eagles and he came to us, you know, we all went, dude, <laughs> you got to <laughs> do it. Uh, you know, there wasn't any, any kind of uh, anger or jealousy or any of that. Kind of, I just, well, I was a little jealous. I wish they needed a steel player. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so yeah, so I'm you know I'm I'm glad how things worked out for both those bass players and they you know they uh, so the the good side for us is uh, the upside for us is that uh, now when we hire a bass player, it's we don't have to pay them because they figure they're going to get the call from Henley. Right, that's now. right. <laughs> that's awesome. They they think you're a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. Sadly, that's funny. <laughs> They carry the suitcases, the guitars. That's, you know. that's awesome. That's right. Is there anything uh, else I can do for you, Mr. Mr. Young? Is it, do you need anything else? Now, while we're still on bass players, uh, Charlie Harrison played bass on Crazy Love, correct? It wasn't either Timothy or Randy. It was Charlie Harrison, correct? Right, yeah. the band. Well, that's when Timothy and George both left uh, right before the Legend album. And uh, that's when Crazy Love really became an important part of the history of Poco. Because when they left, the band George left to play with the Birds, and Timothy left to play with the Eagles, and there was just me and Paul Cotton. And our record label uh, let management know that they weren't interested in uh, us doing another album. They were going to let us go. And uh, But we'd already started auditioning a new rhythm section, and Charlie and Stephen Chapman, uh, those were that, the bass player and drummer that we were playing with. And we'd started rehearsing for the road and rehearsing new songs, because we, we had new songs to to record and uh, management had come down to the studio and we played them crazy love and we played them harder than night and uh, management thought, you know, they thought they were hits. And so when the label came and said, you know, we're, we're not really going to resign them. They said, why don't you go down to the rehearsal hall and let them play you a couple of their new songs and then decide. And so they did, they came down to the rehearsal hall. We played them crazy love. And immediately after that, they said, go make a record. Uh, so that really, the band would have ended in 1978 if it weren't for that song. And then, uh, that song in the irony is, is just spectacular because it was 10 years after we started the band. It was the first gold record we ever had. It was the first platinum. It was the first number one single we had a first hit single we had. And, uh, it was the first song I sang <laughs> and, uh, and it was this, our biggest hit ever is a song that, uh, a guy who didn't sing and didn't write had, and, and it was you know, and we had all these great singers and songs. Timothy had you know a number of songs in Poco that if they would have been on Eagles albums would have been a hit. And I, you know I can't tell you why. Sounds just like 
some of the Poco stuff that we did years earlier. It does. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds like early Poco. That's that's true. That's true. That, yeah. That album is great uh, for our listeners that haven't picked it up. It's yeah. awesome. And it does have the iconic uh, album cover that me and Rob were talking about. I heard that Phil Hartman actually designed that album cover. Can you confirm that to be true? And if so, how did you guys land on Phil Hartman at, to design your album cover, the comic? That, that's, that is true. It wow. really is true. Well, we were managed by his brother, John Hartman. And uh, uh, John had been at, at Geffen and left when some of the bands left, like a America and Poco and uh, I forget who else, uh, CSN. Um, those were the acts that John had. And um, Phil was the art director for them. And he would do, he did the CSN logo. He did a bunch of the America albums. He did a bunch of our albums. Wow. And uh, he was our go-to guy. He was, he was a neat guy. He was really, really fun. He also um, co-wrote Pee-wee's Big Adventure, for those of y'all out there. Did the, he really? He did. He, he created Paul Rubin's character for Pee-wee Herman. Wow. Yeah. Good old Phil Hartman. He was a really, really artistic guy. He could draw, could do anything. We, we needed an album cover, and I was really unhappy with most of the album covers that Poco had done. They, what they did was they would work you into a corner. You'd record the album, and then there'd be a deadline. Okay, it's got to come out with the release date is such and such and all that. And then the artwork would start then. And um, so a lot of times albums were like, I thought they were half I, I was really unhappy with the Rosa Cimarron cover. But they do, if you were unhappy as the artist, there's nothing you could do because they'd say, there's the deadline. We're all ready. If you postpone it, Sly and the Family Stone has that spot and you're not going to get a release oh, for a God year. Lot. Wow. Yeah, so you pretty much had to... T- so anyway, I got really involved with that and, I, and Phil and I were buds and... I was living in the valley in L.A., went out shopping for a new couch at one of these big stores. You know how they, they make a fake living room and they have furniture? And oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. They would have walls up. And on the, at this one particular one, you know, typical of L.A., they had art exhibits. And they had paintings on the walls of their little fake rooms. And uh, on this one wall, uh, well, there's several paintings by this one artist. I think his name was General... Chung Lee or Jen Lee or something like that. He did these black and whites of horses. And it, it would be like a herd of horses and there'd be gray dust behind them and they're running. But, you know, they, they were really, they had a lot of impact. And I loved it. And they had, his signature was in red. And I loved the red against the black and the gray and the white. And so I, when I saw it, I just, I was amazed. So I called Phil up and I said, Phil, you got to come. We all lived in the valley come on down to whatever place that was. I've got to show you something. You've got to see this. And he came down, and we looked at it, and I said, what if you, know, what if you did this, um, but just did it with, like, 12 lines? Do a horse like that. Just one horse with, like, 12 lines instead of, you know, this whole, you know, the dust kicking up and all that kind of stuff. And give it a red eye. And uh, he, he, he went out, and he did, like, 12 different versions, and they were just all great. And you know, he nailed it. He completely nailed it. And so that's how that album cover came about. That's great. That's great. That's- and that became kind of an icon for the band, even you know, up until uh, now. It's it's something that has now appeared in different iterations, and you know, throughout decades later, that part of Poco is so strongly identified, even as a visual thing, that you see that horse, you see that silhouette, or that uh, you know, that sort of negative space horse, and you go, "It's Poco." That's Poco. That's right. That's it. That's good. We're even we're even putting out face masks with the horse on it. Whoa. <laughs> Fantastic. There you go. Right, there we go. 
Um, marketing, marketing, my marketing dear. Marketing there geniuses. you go. That's it. I'm going to f- come back to something I was originally going to ask about crazy love, but now that you've sort of uh, 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 allu- uh, alluded to it twice, I've got to ask, um, is there such a thing as song magic? Are there, um, you know, those, these songs that just sort of, like you said, you feel like you just, you didn't write it, you wrote it down. Um, and are there, if, if so, if there's such a thing as just song magic, are there things that writers can do to make it more likely to happen or does it just happen when it wants to? I, you know, I think it more tends to happen when it wants to, but I, I think there's a part of your brain that works even when you're not thinking about it. Like I know Neil Diamond used to love to write. He wrote most of his stuff when he was driving in his car. I think it's because you're, you're, you're allowing a p- different part of your brain to work because you're, you're doing the driving. And I, I think that that's, that's something that those songs are created in the back of your mind. And, uh, and, that's how they come about. I, I have a spooky thing, too, is that my grandparents were musicians back in Colorado. My grandmother was a little red-headed piano player, and my grandfather had, had a big band. But she used to play piano back when movies didn't have soundtracks. They didn't oh, have, you know, they were sure. silent movies. And she would play in, in Denver at the local theaters and play. And what her job was, because they didn't give them music, to just make up as it goes along, you know, if the guy's on a horse, she goes, duck, 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 you know, <laughs> she has to pick up the music all through this whole day. I think they were like 15 or 20 minute long films. Uh, I, they're probably 90 minute ones. I don't know. I wasn't around then. <laughs> honest. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, she, you know, she made up uh, songs Wow. And, and my grandfather was a great musician. And I think that she passed that on to me. I think there's a part of me that is her that she gave me that ability to be able to put songs together, to hear melodies. And, uh, and a lot of people think that, you know, it's a God given, you know, God sends them down to you. And uh, that may well be the case. Um, but I, I, I tend to think that there are parts of your, your psyche that you, that work whether you know it or not. And, uh, and that's where I feel like crazy love. I mean, I, I just didn't write it. It was just there. That whole chorus came all at once. And uh, and then the verse just started falling out, and uh, it was the same with my friend. And there's, but there are other songs like um, Rosa Cimarron that really took work. It took me m- months to write that song. And the interesting thing about that song is I wrote it for Roy Rogers. Huh. Uh, a friend of ours was producing a Roy Rogers record, and he called and said, "Did I have any songs for Roy Rogers?" And uh, I was a big fan of Sons of the Pioneers, and he was their lead singer. This is all ancient history. No one will know this. <laughs> but uh, I thought, wouldn't it be great, if he's making an album, wouldn't it be great to have what Poco is doing, uh, a contemporary song with uh, with the Sons of the Pioneers lyrics, like, you know, tumbling tumbleweeds and cool water and all that. And uh, I'd, I'd seen the phrase Rosa Cimarron, and I'd been working a little bit on it, and I thought, that's the song for Roy. So, uh, But it took, it took work, and there are a lot of songs that'll take me months and I think I I understand from all my songwriter friends, there are songs like that that'll take you months to complete and then songs that'll just be done when you get them. Well, when me and Rob make our first movie, uh, we'll invite you to come just bring your guitar right. and you can just play underneath it. We won't do a soundtrack and you can uh, embrace your, your ancestors' history and you can just be the music underneath our movie, that right. we uh, our, our picture show. Our improvised that, soundtrack. That we put together. So, <laughs> one last question that we ask everybody and then we'll enjoy your day. 
So you're on tour, either solo or with Poco, and you go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of that, I'll tell you mine so that you can be thinking on it. Um, I get a Three Musketeers bar. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom said you could have any candy bar you want, and I would pick the Three Musketeers bar because it's the most ounces, and they're all the same price. So I would get a Three, <laughs> three Musketeers bar. What is your snack food of choice in the gas station, Rusty? Oh, that's that's just really easy because, you know, I've been on the road a lot, and I toured with Vince Gill for a while when Poco was taking a break, and we did a lot of bus cruises, uh, tours. Um, mine's easy. It's a hot dog. Okay. Really? Yeah, gas station hot dog. Um, there my you kind of guy. That's awesome. I got to take it one step further. What do you put on the hot dog? Are you a mustard, ketchup, relish? What's your what's your toppings? Oh, yeah. You've got to put everything. You the onions, the relish, all those things that come in the little packets. Yeah. The mustard. Take all the packs. Everyone. Just all the it. packs. I take one of each and, and put it on there. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, I've I've sampled hot, gas station hot dogs all across the world. Really. <laughs> well, kind of a connoisseur. We'll have to hit you up for which who's got the best gas station hot dogs. That's right. When we make it out to Missouri, we'll we'll, we'll make sure and try and find out the best best uh, gas stations at the Mark Twain uh, at the Mark Twain Park. Um, yeah, Rusty, thank you so much this for joining has us been today. Great. Yeah, this has really been so a fascinating interview. I've loved you've given some really unique insight. I, I feel like into the music industry that I think some of our listeners are going to uh, really enjoy. So, thank you so much, Rusty. This has been great. Hope you had a good time. Um, and- All right, thanks, kid. All right, thanks. Thank you. Have you. a great one. Bye. 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 This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Rusty Young of Poco. So glad to talk to him. Uh, and uh, what a nice guy. A, a real sweetheart. You know? <laughs> a, real a real Santa. Sweetheart. Yeah. Horses. His, and you know what? Something about him? His love is crazy. <laughs> I don't know if you know. It wraps around the heart. It, yeah, it does. It really does. Um, but that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I do want to mention, we didn't really cover this in the beginning, but just real quick, real quickly, if you want to search out some covers of this song, um, there's a Jars of Clay live cover that you go, of course Jars of Clay covered yeah. this. You, you instantly hear it and you go, that makes perfect sense. Um, Sarah Evans did one uh, pretty recently uh, okay. that's very nice. And of course, it's a different vibe having a female, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's a little bigger production-wise. Uh, and then... Jonathan Colton, I don't know if you are familiar with Jonathan Colton. He's I think of him as a comedy guy. Okay. Um but um but he's got a really a really faithful cover. Like we've we've joked before about how your favorite cover versions are the ones that are as close Stay to the original, to the original. As possible. That's right. His would be your favorite. Okay. His and Jars of Clay you would love both, but I mean Colton's is like note for note you know, tone for tone, absolutely awesome. uh, the same. I'll check that one so, out. So, yeah, um, check that one out. So, uh, again, I'm going to say uh, join us on socials. We're everywhere at Great Song Pod. Uh, and if you want to be a part of the story on Patreon, you can do that as well. Patreon.com slash Great Song Pod. You can get early access to episodes, weekly bonus reaction shows, uh, bonus episodes, and more. Um, so if you want to do that, we've got uh, a lot of people who have jumped on that, especially since we've recently made some changes that have allowed more rewards for lower tiers. So, um, if you want to do that, man, we appreciate it so much. And if you're listening and you, uh, are one of our co-producers on Patreon, we really appreciate that. Um, thank you guys for listening and being Still trying to think of a name for you guys. Yeah, we really need a good one. We'll take some submissions. We will, yeah. Just, just, uh, send us a carrier pigeon and let us know, uh, what you guys (laughs) want. Holy divers. Holy Outstanding. Uh, All right, that's going to do it for this week on the Great Song Podcast. We'll be back next week with another great song. Until then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music.